0: You'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome. Now, Paul knows that to influence Rome is literally to influence the entire world of his time. But Paul is equally aware that to write and to influence Rome is to literally change the entire course of human history. He is not ignorant of that as he writes this letter. So every word and every doctrine, every sentence, every phrase is entirely different than we might have if we were communicating one to another in a letter. Where we just casually inform and hope to encourage. Now, This letter is intentional under the direction of the Holy Spirit to change world history, the way we think and the way we live. Now, let's take a look at this beginning at verse 16, where Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who support or suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my heart and meditations of our minds today, may all of this be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer we make our prayer in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Now we're looking at the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in its power to transform the wicked of the world, wicked people in this world. Forty years ago, at just about this time in the year, I became a Christian in South Florida. I was 22. Uh, I had brushed up against or had been involved with just about everything that I have read here today in the book of Romans. I was under the power of sin. And at that time, at about February of that year, reminded of it very clearly by certain events, I began to hang out with some people at the Presbyterian Church in West Palm Beach, Florida, that was very much like this church, active college and career-type ministry. They accepted me in. They began to pray with me, for me, love me, care for me, and encourage me. And at some point in time during the summer of that year, 40 years ago, the Lord Jesus was pleased to reveal Himself to me. And when I saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, I came to understand quite clearly that everything about my life was wrong, absolutely wrong. I understood at that time that I, my life was crucified, crucified with Christ. My old life died. And it's like when the Holy Spirit came in that I was raised up to a newness of life And I began to worship God and I began to serve other people and not think only of myself. It was an amazing transformation. Now, Paul tells us something very parallel to that when we look at his account of his own conversion in the book of Acts. You know how he was proud, you know how he was an intellectual. You know of his training. You know of his family pedigree. You know of how he was, had outdone any of his contemporaries, and even that he had become a person that was a persecutor of the Church of Jesus Christ. And in that mode of being a blasphemer and being one who was a hater of the things of God truly, This self-deceived man on the way to Damascus was shown a great light. He fell to the ground. He literally saw Jesus Christ, heard his voice, and the Lord Jesus called him out of that life and called him to himself. And Paul again would say, I was crucified at that point in time. The life of my past died at that moment. You remember how it says he was three days without food, without drink, and he was blind. Finally, the Lord Jesus sent this man to him and raised him up to newness of life. And he went out and began to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he had previously hated, to the entire transformation of our world when we look at the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and its power to transform and save wicked people and we read this list and this catalog of sins we have to recall Paul's telling us very succinctly I am the chief of sinners that in first Timothy 1 he is telling us in verse 16 That his conversion stands as a model of all conversions and as a manner of understanding that if he may be converted and put into service of Christ Jesus, that anyone, no matter how in bondage to their sin they are, anyone can be saved and transformed and put into service of Christ Jesus. Now, this is good news for us. As we look in verses 26 and 27, and we look at the bondage that we see in our culture in the area of the entire homosexual community, and we think of these people as almost beyond the pale, and Paul is saying, no, if anyone was beyond the pale, I was beyond the pale. If I may be saved good news, these may be saved as well. But we must look carefully at this, and we must understand the nature of what Paul's talking about as he writes to Rome to change the world. First of all, we want to look at the foundation of homosexuality. And we see this in verse 18. If you look there, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness in the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, what we're being told here is there was a point in time at the beginning, at the creation, after the fall of man. You notice how he's saying here, from the beginning, from the creation. That's when this wickedness and this suppression of God's truth began. It's not something that's recent. It's not something that's ancient. It's something that goes all the way back to the beginning. And man began to do this, and they did this by their own wicked actions. That's what the text is telling us here. They knew God all this time. Yes, their wickedness, they would try to say, I'm doing these things, I'm free to do these things, and yet dawning would come that God is revealing Himself to them. And so we see that in this text, what we're led to understand is this wickedness led them to other gods, this wickedness led them to make idols. And so they began to fashion gods to their own liking. Now at this point in time at the text, there's a word that's very important for us to see because it's repeated. And it's the word exchange. And in this, it says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Now, what is he talking about? Well, think again, the languages here from the beginning, what we're told is that there were these animals. There were animals in the form of man, four-footed animals. There were reptiles. There were birds. That's the language. And so man went out and said, no, I won't have God rule over me, but I'll make my own gods, and I'll make my own gods like these animals. Now, we go around the world, and the Egyptians used to worship Crocodiles. You look in North America, and you look in Canada, and you see the totem poles, and often at the top, there's an animal that's made to look like an eagle. Oh, everywhere you go, man has worshipped idols. By the way, some of them were a lot sharper intellectually than we are, but they were fallen. And it was from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. What did God say at the beginning, at the foundation of the world? let us make God in our image and let them rule over the beasts of the earth the birds of the air and the fish of the sea man exchanged God's order and created his own order an order of idolatry so wickedness led to idolatry and from the beginning until now God has given men and women over to do as they desire. Now this word gave them over. A lot of times when we look at this word gave them over it sounds like a type of verbal expression that we call a concessive. Now a concessive would be something like that. Okay If that's really what you want to do, then just go ahead and do it. You know, I'm sure as parents that you've done this. Just tell your child that's what you want to do, go ahead. That's not what's being said here. This is a judgment. When God says he gave them over, he allowed them to become like the things that they were worshiping. They and their worshipers became united as one, and this degraded humankind and led to expressions that we see here, expressions of depravity. Now this expression of depravity in this exchange, let's be clear that we understand why Paul's mentioning homosexuality here. He's mentioning homosexuality here because for the man it was the clearest expression of the nature of this exchange of the truth of God for a lie. And it's in the nature of this exchange being made vivid and being illustrated that Paul brings forward this whole idea of homosexuality. It has its origins from the beginning in man's unwillingness by his wickedness to submit to God. It moves on to idolatry and then to its expressions. But please hear me. As we enter into a new point in this message, hear this clearly. Homosexuality is merely one expression of many expressions of wickedness and idolatry. That's why this catalog of sins at the end of Romans chapter 1, and that's why Paul is able to say in chapter 2 verse 1, don't be condemning, don't be judgmental, don't think more evil of somebody because they should have a homosexual background and you have not. Because we're all guilty, every one of us and me included of being into this wickedness as an expression of our idolatry. Look at the way it's said here in verses 24, 26 and 28 repeatedly the language is God gave them over equally over now I'd like to go through these quickly the first one is in verse 24 and one expression is sexual impurity to the grading of one's own body with another person what is wrong here well from the beginning in Genesis 2 again from the creation we see that it was God's intention that a man leave his father and his mother that he cleaned to his wife and that the two of them become one flesh what has happened in that culture, and what is so dominant in our culture, the whole idea of having sexual relationships is wide open. There is no sense that the, the sexual purity is for the marriage exclusively. The scriptures tell from the beginning it was God's design that a man leave and the man cleave, that that couple become one flesh, and that was God's design. But because of man's idolatry, this has been corrupted, and these are reaping the consequences in their bodies. The third expression, going down to verse 28, this man's rebellion and idolatry led to all manner of antisocial conduct. And we see that the penalty of that is very clearly, it's equally death to them. There's no distinction between theirs in the first category. But the second expression is that that is found in 26 and 27 that deals with homosexuality. The rebellion, the wickedness, the exchange into idolatry, and the homosexual experience that is followed with unique penalties in this particular case. Now, why is, why is a homosexual relationship sin? That's a question that we need to answer. When we talk about sin from our confession of faith and catechism, we say that sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of God's law. Now, sometimes we speak of this as sins of omission and sins of commission. That's the way we tend to speak of it. What is the sin of omission in a homosexual relationship? Well, again, going back to these verses from the beginning, what has God commanded? We call these things at the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 as creation mandates. These were mandates that the Creator gave to our original parents, and they're incumbent on the entire culture for the entire history of mankind until the Lord returns. And so incumbent upon each and every one of us, as it was incumbent upon each and every one of them, is that we come together and that we are fruitful, that we multiply that we go out and rule and subdue the culture in God's name. Now, just by omission, a person involved in a homosexual lifestyle cannot be fruitful. A person involved in a homosexual lifestyle cannot multiply. So a person involved in a homosexual lifestyle cannot do what God commands it's a sin of omission now the second thing that we would want to see is that it is a sin of commission it's a transgression of the law of god again in genesis 2:24 and 25 it says that the man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh and Paul is going to call this natural. In what the person that does, whether they're female or male, is they engage in relationships that are contrary to this, contrary to God's natural design from the very beginning of creation. Now, I think it's important for us also to see these are things of which Jesus did speak. And if we were to turn to Matthew chapter 19 and the first few verses there, the Pharisees come to Jesus and test him concerning the issue of divorce. And Jesus begins by responding by saying, Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, The two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let not man separate. When we do something other than this, we go directly against the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it becomes a very much and very clear a sin of commission in violating the natural order. Now, I would like again for us to look at verse 26 and 27. There is an unfortunate manner of translations that is in every one of our English texts. And that is where the word men is used and where the word women is used. That is not the original Greek word. He does not say that. What God's word says, what Paul is saying to the Roman culture and to our culture, is that the females, the females left the natural function. And then later on, he's saying the males left the natural function with the females and burned in lust for other males. It makes all the difference in the world. What's he saying? He's talking about the creation. He's talking about the exchange. He's talking about the distortion. You look out at animal life. Who breeds with who? What is natural? And the only thing that's natural is we see female animals and male animals. And what do we see? A natural order of sexuality and anything other than that is an abnormal, a contrary to nature, sexual expression. The language here of the text helps us to understand with some level of clarity Paul's actual intention. The language here of nature and against nature. The natural order in Genesis 2.24, A man leaves, he cleaves to his wife, they become one flesh, that's the natural. Anything against that is unnatural. We can see this in the book of Leviticus, we can see it in other texts in the Old Testament as well. Now, I'd just like to shift gears for a second to modern arguments concerning this passage of scripture. People that have an interest in homosexuality in any fashion tend to look at material about this text, and they understand it in this way. What is condemned here is not homosexuality. That's going to be their argument. But what's condemned here in this text is that if a heterosexual person has a sexual relation with a homosexual person, that that person is violating God's law at this point. In other words, homosexuals with homosexuals, in their mind, is not being spoken to in this text. What is being spoken to is a hetero having sexual union with someone that is homosexual. That's the way they speak of this. Now, another popular, current, much spoken of interpretation is this, that what is really being spoken of here is pedestry. In this case, that men who own boy slaves we having sexual relationships with the boy slaves. Now, how current was this? William Barclay, one of the famous English commentators, says this, quoted by John W. Stott, of the 15 Caesars, 14 are known to be homosexuals. So this was a reality, but that's not what's being spoken to here. The language is clear, especially when we understand Paul's true sense. These things are evasions. This is one expression here that most clearly demonstrates, this is the point, this expression of homosexual unions clearly demonstrates man's rebellion against God and against the natural order and by their wickedness suppressing the truth for a lie now the third thing that I'd like to speak at for a few minutes is the penalty of homosexual sin you see at the end of verse 27 that it says in the text, they receive in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. I must say that if you take up other translations of the New Testament and read that last part of the verse, there are so many efforts being made to bring out the sense. Here is the New English Bible of 1970 and they are paid in their own persons the fitting wage of such perversion." Being paid the fitting wage of such perversion. I would ask you, do you know of other texts like this? Do you know of other parts of the Bible that speak like this? There isn't much to compare with. The language is there. In order to help us see with vividness how God looks at this and how we should look at this. There is another passage, and if you want to turn there, it's 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Now I would say this to all of you all, especially those who have no interest in homosexuality now or later. This has relevance to any type of of heterosexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage because in 1 Corinthians 6:18 it's just a simple statement flee immorality it's so terse its import can't be missed then this is what follows that terseness an explanation of why all other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Then later on, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so the language that's here in these two texts is entirely different than the language we're used to seeing in the parts of the sh- other parts of the Scripture in order to vividly instruct us to understand the wrongness of what we're seeing going on in our own time and our own culture. These are not things that we should tolerate, wink at, think lightly of, or accept in any way, shape, or form. Um, Grew up four houses from the railroads as a child. You know what they had at the railroad tracks? Remember these things every once in a while at a rural crossing? Remember what they say? Stop, look, and listen. Stop in reference to your thinking about this. Look at what the text says and listen to what the text says. Don't listen to the culture. What does God's word say? That's what we're to listen to. Years ago, a friend called me and said, Could you come over to the apartment? I want to talk with you. I said, Well, sure. And I showed up, and this young man was there in his apartment. And he began to say, I want to talk, and um, uh, uh, um, uh, I'm. And he's, he's just rocking like this. Finally, I, I said, hey, let's just calm down for a minute. It's OK. We're OK. So he did. After about five, six minutes, he says, now, the reason I asked you to come over here today, I, I, I want to I tell you something. I, he says, I, I think I'm gay. No. What's a pastor do? This man valued me. Trusted a pastor. I explained Jesus. You know what it's saying here in the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to live a life of obedience by faith according to the scriptures. And we discussed that. And it satisfied his soul. Married, two kids. The kids are young. They still think that Mr. Kinzer's pretty high on the food chain. Now, they just haven't known me as long as you have, see. But they think I'm great. Because their parents talk about the help of a pastor in a time of need. I'm sure they don't go into details. Dear people, the punishment is greater than the penalty. A person that dies in this condition, we're told in 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 1 Timothy 1, 10 the people dying in this condition will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I ask you to think how many times do you see that kind of language about some particular ethical fault, a sin, but that's what the text says. The power of the gospel to save, it transformed the Roman world. It transformed the homosexual Roman world and it's transformed the cultures of deviance all around the world but it's not being as accepted as the power that has the ability to transform the lives of the people that you and I are associating with every single day but we need to understand that it does and it will no condemnation offering help you know Christ you know the power to save. The power to save you is the power to save anyone, especially people in homosexual involvement. Now, just one very practical. I'd I like to give six because you forget six. I'll give one. It'll stay with you. Harvest USA. That's it you go to their website you will get help 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 it's a wonderful website that deals with this and it's there for you to help your friends you have a Heavenly Father that knows your trial some of you have children and grandchildren in this you have a Heavenly Father that knows your trial I had a mother who died just a few years ago at almost 95. Boy, did she pray for me, especially 20, 21, and 22. Does God supernaturally hear and answer prayers and transform people? I'm standing here. I could have been any one of the things that I just read. Any of them. You need to know that. You could be one of any of them. We have friends that need Christ as their Savior from all of these things. Now, Father, we thank you. The power to save is not in us, but the power to save is in Jesus Christ. Now, may the God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead and raised us to newness of life, may you give us power to speak and to think properly about these issues to the culture that surrounds us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.